Psalm 5. Let's take our Bible, go to Psalm 5. As you're turning there, as you're turning there, I, I want to share one, one brief comment just in my own personal study. I have been reminded this week in my own prayer time and sermon preparation of how important daily communion with God is. I mean, I, you know, you, you know and I know that we have neighbors and relatives and loved ones. I mean, they'll just sit in front of TV all day long. I mean, all day. And they just feed on that. They just eat and drink and breathe that stuff. Well, however much media you take in, put a double portion of the word in your heart and in your mind. We, we need daily intake of the word of God and prayer. And so I hope Psalm 5 will be an encouragement to that end. Follow with me as I read Psalm 5, beginning with the header, a psalm of David, a psalm of David. Here's what we have. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall in the multitude of their transgressions. Thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. And then if you let your eyes skip to the title of Psalm 6, again, just as a refresher, I think that should be the conclusion To Psalm 5, for the choir director with stringed instruments upon an eight-string lyre. If I were to ask you the question, what is your morning routine? How would you respond? We all have one. What is your morning routine? When the alarm goes off, when you wake up, when you get out of bed, what what is your daily morning routine? And maybe your morning routine might include something like getting coffee and eating breakfast, or maybe working out or exercising. 
maybe checking email, maybe surfing the news headlines or the articles or the op-eds or maybe looking at the markets, scanning social media and prayer and Bible study and the singing of hymns. But if I were to ask, what is your morning routine? Ponder that just for a moment. What, what would you say? I think from Psalm 5, we learn David's morning routine. It is the psalm of the morning because of verse 3. He mentions it twice. David's morning routine consists of three things. Number one, he rises early. Number two, he arranges his prayers. And number three, he focuses on a Godward trust. He rises early. He arranges his prayers and he focuses on a Godward trust. Now, as I was thinking and reflecting on this, we all might have different morning routines and different elements included in that, but I want to sort of unashamedly make the case, if I could, for why you should begin your day with God. Why you should begin. I don't know if you're a morning person or if you're a night person or if you're neither. I don't know what you may be, but I want to give you seven pieces of pastoral advice why you should begin your day with God. Number one, you have it there in your outline, because it fills you with truth. And we live in a world of lies. And we live in a culture of tidal wave of lies. We need to be filled with truth. Second, you should begin your day with God because it prepares you for temptation. It prepares you for temptation to begin your day with God in prayer and in the word. Third, to begin your day with God, it guards you from sin. It's like putting up the the wall. It's like closing the gate so that temptation is out and sin is out and you are able to be guarded. Number four, to begin your day with God, it recalibrates you from pride to humility. Because, Christian, we automatically wake up prideful people. We're just hardwired in our flesh as proud people. And we need to be recalibrated each morning from pride to put on humility. Number five, I want to encourage you to begin your day with God because it emulates your Savior. Mark 1.35 and all through the book of Luke, he rose up while it was still dark and he went to a solitary place to pray. Number six, I want to encourage you to begin your day with God because it expresses your dependence. When we don't pray, it's like saying, God, I got this. But when we pray, we're saying, God, I don't have this and I need you. And number seven, I want to encourage you to begin your day with God because I think it exemplifies godly self-discipline, meaning discipline to rise up out of bed rather than sleeping a little bit longer and a little bit more. And maybe a simple way to sort of sum all of that up is before the world fills your heart, I want to encourage you, church family, to be with God in secret prayer. Before the world fills your heart, be with God in secret prayer. David writes Psalm 5 as a song. 
And we know it's a song because at the title, he calls it a psalm. That means a plucking on a stringed instrument. He wrote it for the choir director. He wrote it with stringed instruments in mind. And David begins a new day with all the enemies that he has, with all the ungodliness around him sort of hemming him in. He rejoices. He begins the day with God in prayer. As I was reflecting on this, I had so many sermon outlines that came to mind and I thought they were sort of clever and they were alliterated, and, but I came up with something that I think will be hopefully more practical. Four simple morning truths. Four morning truths that as you wake in the morning, you could pray and you could take these words and make them your own. So there's nothing super profound about it. These don't rhyme. They don't alliterate, but that's okay. They're simple morning truths prayers, morning truths that I think we can glean from David in the psalm. Number one, let's look at verses one to three. I must pray. When you wake up tomorrow morning, if you get up at four or five or six or eight or not, whatever time you get up, I must pray. Not not I can pray or I should pray. I must pray. Before I minister to men, I need to meet with God. But before I go and work for men, I need to bow and worship my God. And notice in verses 1 to 3, all the words for prayer, and there's a lot of them. Look here in verses 1 to 3. David talks about my words. And then he talks about my groaning. And then he talks about my cry for help in verse 2. And then he says in the end of verse 2, I pray to you. Verse 3, you will hear my voice. At the end of verse 3, I will order my prayers to God. You know what I love about this? There's all kinds of ways of praying right here. You've got the word for prayer. You've got groaning. You've got the voice that is being lifted. You're crying out. You're ordering all of your prayers, whether they're loud, whether they're soft, whether they're long, whether they're short prayers or groans or silent. God hears it all. God hears your prayers. What I want to bring out is verse 3. David says, in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, now, in the NASB, I have, I will order my prayer to you. The NIV has, I will lay all my requests out to you. I love this Hebrew word. The Hebrew word talks about arranging something in an orderly way, like the priest when he would arrange the wood or an animal for a sacrifice. That's why the ESV has, I will prepare a sacrifice. David is arranging his prayers in such a a helpful, a logical way so that his mind doesn't wander. Hence, a prayer guide. I benefit from prayer guides. Maybe you do as well. Maybe something to help you. Mondays I pray for this, and Tuesdays I pray for this, and Wednesdays I pray for this. Maybe some helpful ways that you could order 
your prayers to God. You've heard of the ACTS acronym, haven't you? A-C-T-S. A, adoration. God, I adore you. I worship you. C, confession. Lord, I confess. I confess my sin. T, thanksgiving. I want to thank you for what you've done. I want to thank you for Christ and the Word and the church and my family. S, supplication. Or you could arrange your prayers with the Lord's Prayer. You could take that as a template or a model prayer. Or you could pray a psalm and allow the psalm to become a, a model and a template to guide you in your prayer time. Or the little chart that I attached at the end of the outline there that might be an aid to your praying. But however you do it, in the morning, I must pray. I must pray. Do you see right there in verse 2 when David said, Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. You know what I like about that? Praying to God puts King David in his right context because David is the king and yet he's a man under the authority of God, the greater king. Whatever position or role you and I may have in life, whatever authority we might have, whatever leadership we might have, you're my king, you're my God. I am a man under submission and under authority to God. David knows God. He is my God. He is my king. So in the morning, David says, I I awake and I must pray. Christian, I want to encourage you even tomorrow. Wake early in the morning, whenever that time may be, I must pray. I get to pray, but I must pray. Number two, David continues, not only I must pray, but I know that God is holy. Now, you might be tempted, as am I, with this little thing right here. Anybody have one of these? (laughs) The temptation to check email. The temptation to go to the news. The temptation to go to social media. To do that first. Before politics. Before emails before blogs, before social media updates, fill yourself with God. So then you can filter all that other stuff appropriately. Now, the reason I say that, verses four to six teach a very important truth. You got to hear this. Man is really bad and God is really mad. That's it. And we live in that culture. Man is really bad and God is really mad. Man is corrupt. Man is defiled. Man has rebelled against God. We are defiled in our words. We're defiled in our ways. We're defiled in our conduct, in our very nature. And you might feel the godlessness of our culture sort of creeping in and squeezing the life out of you. I mean, you can't even go to Fox News. You can't even go to whatever news source you want to go to. And you're going to read all these headlines that you're just going to be depressed if you stay there. What do you do? David, from verses 1 to 3, he's going to shift from himself and he's going to shift to God. Verse 4, for you are not a God who takes pleasure 
in wickedness. You and I could say that each day. Lord, you don't take pleasure in what's going on. Look at the next phrase. No evil dwells with you. Anybody been camping here? You pitch a tent, right? And you stay in a tent for a little while. That's the Hebrew word. Sin cannot reside with God at all. It, it can't have, a, it can't have a, a lodging, a home with God. It can't go camping with God. God and sin are incompatible. Next, verse 5, the boastful shall not stand before God. What does that mean, boastful? Those who love to praise themselves. Do you know anybody like that? They just talk about themselves. They praise themselves. They talk about their achievements and their accomplishments. They can't stand before God. Notice the end of verse 5. I want you all to look at this because this goes against every grain of our culture in modern evangelicalism. David wrote and he said, You, O God, hate all who do iniquity. The cliche in our day is, well, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. But look at the end of verse 5 again. God hates. I'm going to come back and dwell on that in a little bit more in a few minutes. But we need to realize God has a perfect and a holy hatred for sinners. For sinners. And we read in verse 6 that you destroy all those who speak falsehood. Well, that would shut down all the media sites and, and the news sites. I mean, all liars, all falsehood, God destroys them and he abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. What's David doing? In the morning, he's laying out his prayers to God and he acknowledges, God, you're holy in divine purity. God, you are hot with perfect rage. And God, you even hate the violent and the deceitful. What's he doing? David no doubt has enemies. He's living in godless times, kind of like us. And yet David is reminding himself of a big, of a holy and a pure God. Why? So that everything that comes his way, he'll filter it through a holy God. That's what we need to do as well. We need to think the way God thinks about what comes at us in, the, in this world. So in the morning, David arises and he says, number one, I must pray. Number two, David says, I know that God is holy. Number three, I consider their doom. I consider their doom. Now, on the one hand, the holiness of God is an absolutely fearful thing. It's a fearful thing. But aren't you and I so thankful that our God shows grace? Don't miss the high point. This is like the mountain peak of the psalm, the crest of the psalm, verse 7. But as for me, don't miss it. That's the whole turning point. God, you're so angry with sinners. God, you are holy in hatred toward the wicked. You abhor the bloodshed and the deceitful. But as for me, by your abundant love, I will 
enter your house. I don't come to God on my own. I come to God because God has had love upon a sinner like me. Remember that account in Ezekiel chapter 16? It's, I think, the most graphic chapter in all the Bible, speaking of sin. It's God picturing Israel as a perverted, uncontrolled harlot, deserving death. She's constantly going after lovers, constantly. And yet the end of the chapter, like 60 verses of this, at the end of it, God in his love, he forgives and he establishes his unfailing covenant of grace with his people. I deserve God's wrath, but because of your love, I enter your temple. It's like Titus chapter 3, even when we were foolish and disobedient and enslaved to various lusts, hateful and hating one another, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. The love of God. Christian, aren't you thankful for these words right here in verse 7? But... As for me, by your abundant love, I enter your house in worship. You you and I can't come to God on our own. We say we come to God because of his covenant love that he poured out upon us. The love of God took on flesh. The love of God obeyed to Calvary. The love of God absorbed the fury of God on the cross. The love of God left nothing undone. The love of God paid it all. The love of God offers life freely to you. And if you look again at verse 7, what David is acknowledging is that we approach God because of what he has done for you. You and I never approach God because of what you and I do for him. We approach God because of what he has done for us. And then he says in verse 8, or end of verse 7, At your holy temple I will bow in fear and reverence. Oh, we bow before God in holy fear. Verse 8, so David prays, O Lord, lead me. In your righteousness, I've got foes. I've got many foes. Make your way straight. Lord, I need you to guide me today. I live in terrible times. I've got many enemies. Lord, guide me. Help me. Give me wisdom. Give me direction. Make my path straight. Maybe you can take verse 8 and make that your own prayer in these days in which we live. But then, verse 9 and 10, David goes back to describing his opponents. What are the ungodly like? Well, look at verse 9. There's nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is like an open grave. Jesus picked up on this very language, I think quoting it in Matthew chapter 23, when he was saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you are like whitewashed tombs. 
You're nothing more than a grave. You might look colorful on the outside, but you're full of death on the inside. That comes right out of Psalm 5. Their their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Paul quotes this. Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 3. There's none good, not even one. They've all turned aside. They've all become useless. Their throat is an open grave. He's quoting in Romans chapter 3 from right here in Psalm 5. All are guilty. All of our mouths, all of our conduct, we're all guilty. And then we come to verse 10. What a, what a terrifying verse verse 10 is. But you know what, church family? You and I live in times where we groan sometimes thinking, Lord, enough is enough. This is so evil. I mean, the ungodless, the ungodliness and the, and the lies and the killing and the murder and the, and the perversions. I mean, from the top to bottom, from whatever level of society, you and I can pray like verse 10. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. God's righteousness is inflexible. He has blazing holiness in his love for his own perfect character in doing what is right will always prevail. And what I want to bring out here for just a moment, which will make the beauty of the gospel shine bright, but bear with me for the uncomfortableness of this. You cannot miss the frightfulness of the seriousness of your sin. Ponder this with me for a moment that God, with all of his infinite power and all of his holy rage, is actively against every sinner. Justly, rightly, infinitely against the sinner. God, with all of his nature, with all of his plans and providence and decrees, is against every single rebel who disobeys him and transgresses him. The utter ruin and the everlasting doom and the infinite terrors and the unending fire of hell will surely come upon every wicked person. And it will come by the perfect presence of an infinite God. Hear this. He will never say, that's enough. He'll never say, that's enough. Let up the judgment. He'll never say it. Their doom will go on forever. Their punishment will go on forever from God in the presence of God in the lake of fire. Why? Why do sinners perish? Why? You see it there at the end of verse 10, the four, the little phrase four. Why will God hold them guilty? For they rebel against you. You know what? That was me. Throat was an open grave. 
deceit, bloodshed, nothing reliable in what we said, flattered with our tongues, rebelled against God. That was us. And what is David doing? In the early morning, he's praying and he is reminding himself, I need to consider their doom. I don't need to take matters into my own hands. I don't need to be bitter at my enemies. I need to remember that my God is going to bring their destruction one day. But then that leads to the fourth way of praying in the morning. Look in your outline. I mean, where, where can the sinner go? When you and I are living in such a, a, a world, a society like this. I mean, Psalm 5 is like our time. Where can the sinner go? Answer to Christ. You and I can pray, I'm safe in God. I'm safe in God. 1 John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. In 1 John 4 verse 10, he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus said in John 15 verse 9, as the father has loved me, get this, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Do you hear that? God was so angry with you. And yet now Jesus said, as the father loved me, I love you. Abide in my love. What hope for the believer. Jesus said in Luke 10 verse 20, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Has the love of God grabbed your heart? I mean, I mean, has it, has it seized you so that you're not living in these verses of being guilty and rebelling against God and, and your, your, your transgressions are against God and he's against you. But can you say God in his love has found me and he sought me and he saved me and he holds me tight. Verse 11, look at the end of the psalm. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. You know what? It doesn't matter who the sinner is or what kind of rebellion they're in. You can take this psalm, Christian, and you can go to anyone in the world and say, you know what? You've rebelled against God. And there's only one way that you can find refuge. And that refuge, that protection, that security is found in Christ. Let all, verse 11, who take refuge in you be glad and let them ever sing for joy. May you shelter them so that those who love your name may exult in you. I love that word exult at the end of verse 11. It means to rejoice with strength. In the, in the Hebrew, it has the idea of strength. This isn't a kind of a, well, I'll praise the Lord. I mean, this is a mighty, a courageous, I'm going to praise God and you can't stop me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout to the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in God because he was angry with me, but his anger has been turned away. 
Verse 12, for it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord, you surround him with favor as with a shield. Christian, four simple ways to pray. Four simple ways that in the morning when you rise, you, you can take these little phrases and you can flesh them out more in your prayer time, but remembering who God is, remembering to pray, remembering that we live in godless times and God will judge the wicked. Verse 7, but as for me, but as for me, by your love, I will enter your house. You and I could never come to God on our own merit. We come to God because of what Christ has done for us. Martin Luther was being brought before the Catholic authorities to answer again for his heretical teachings, teaching salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And one of the Catholic authorities said to him, Luther, where are you going to find shelter if all your friends betray you and abandon you? Without even blinking, Luther said, I will find my shelter in the shelter of heaven. Even if everyone abandons me, I am safe in the Lord my God. Christian, you can say the same. God crowns you with his favor. What a safe place to be. The only shelter from an angry God is to be hiding in Christ. The only shelter from an angry God is to be hiding in Christ. Maybe just very briefly, if I could close with this. We, we are living in a Psalm 5 culture. We are. We are living in a Psalm 5 world. Man is bad. God is mad. My hero in church history, Joseph Aileen, was, was, a, was, a, was a young man who was devoted to God, devoted to the Word, devoted to his church, devoted to truth. And he lived in times that wasn't all that friendly to the gospel. He made it his custom to rise at four o'clock each day, to spend four hours in private worship. He was a minister of the gospel. He spent four hours in prayer, in Bible reading, in meditation, in singing of hymns. His wife, Theodosia, said this, Joseph would be much troubled if he heard the smith or other craftsmen at work at their trades before he was awake and communing with his God. Joseph would say to me often, Oh, how this noise shames me. Does not my master deserve more than theirs? What does that mean? He said, I want to give my earliest and my best to God who is worthy of the best of my time, the best of my heart, and the best of my abilities for his glory. Christian, every well-spent day, I believe we would do well to spend it and begin it with God. In the early morning, prioritize your communion with the Lord 
in very ungodly times. We need that, don't we? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word that you have given to us in Psalm 5. Oh, how, how clear this psalm is that we ought to pray to you, that we ought to reflect on your character, that we ought to be sobered by the soon coming judgment of the wicked. And we ought to be thankful and rejoicing and glad that Jesus has loved us and he has died for us and we hide in the shelter of Christ, for he alone protects us from the holy hatred and the divine punishment of the Father. We thank you for Jesus, the rock of ages. In his name we pray.